Michael. <laughs> so, so in thinking of uh, about this topic, uh, transnational governance regimes in this area, I was um, tempted to exercise my right to be forgotten and hide under the table. Um, but having seen Jörg's uh, presentation in particular reminds me how OECD and Council of Europe some 30 years ago sort of walked down the same path, and I think again we see a commonality and approach and objectives, if not in all the details, that's uh, that's quite quite encouraging. Um, since we are being recorded, I won't have our right to be forgotten. I'll exercise my uh, disclaimer that my views may not represent the views of the OECD or its member com uh, countries. I am a recovering lawyer, so I still make these uh, disclaimers from time to time. I, I will, of course, try to ground my remarks uh, deeply in, what in, in the OECD canon. We don't have quite the same depth of material to draw upon in this area as, as the Commission or the Council of Europe does. Uh, but but let, let me say what we do have. Um, the emphasis at the OECD over the years has really been on free flow of information, uh, more so than freedom of speech or freedom of expression. Um, if you go back to look at the uh, opening recitals from the 1980 privacy guidelines, they talk about being determined to advance the free flow of information. And even up uh, earlier this year, uh, the OECD Council put out a new recommendation on principles for internet policy making. And the very first principle there is to promote and protect the global free flow of information. So it's still right at the heart of the way about we think about these issues. Um, the, the principles come from a communique in 2011 where we tried to give some flesh to this, uh, explained that uh, the internet and individuals' abilities to learn, share information and knowledge, express themselves, assemble and form associations, all depend on the global free flow of information. So that's really at the core of the OECD uh, orientation here. Um, there may be some advantages to focusing on the free flow of information, particularly as one looks to um, trying to persuade a large and diverse uh, global population now that this is the right way to think of these. Um, free flow of information tends to point uh, to its economic benefits as well as the societal benefits, and sometimes that's an easier way to get a global chorus of, of yes, please, uh, in, in thinking about principles in this area. Uh, in the early days, we tended to highlight uh, the tension or even opposition between privacy and free flow of information, um, again from the 1980 guidelines, uh, about considering the common interest in reconciling fundamental but competing values, such as privacy and free flow of information, or as stated in the explanatory memorandum, there is an inherent conflict between the protection of privacy and the free transport flow of personal data. So uh, that's something that I think we've uh, seen less need to do uh, recently is to highlight the opposition between free flow and privacy. Uh, we, in 2007, we developed a recommendation on privacy cooperation uh, amongst authorities, and we think that's one key way of making sure that information moves freely around the world but does so in a way that's protected. Um, and we're now beginning to see some more references to rights discourse. Uh, the terms of reference in uh, the review to our privacy guidelines say that privacy frameworks should also consider the fundamental rights of others in society, including the rights to freedom of speech, freedom of press, and open and transparent government. Um, so yes, uh, I haven't mentioned the review of the privacy guidelines up until now, uh, so that's when we do my commercial message. We indeed, like uh, the other major instruments are, do have a review underway. It comes out of a ministerial uh, meeting in 2008, so we're not just uh, trying, didn't want to just not avoid missing the global rethink. It's something we've been working on for, for some time. We have not 
rushed to judgment, as uh, David Smith and others will know who have been working with us. Uh, during that time, we organized um, a number of conferences, prepared a number of reports, uh, taking advantage of the 30th anniversary of the privacy guidelines uh, to add a celebratory dimension to really what was a lot of hard work and, and careful thinking. So I, I tell you this not just to uh, divert attention from the reviews underway in Brussels and Strasbourg, but also, uh, actually, and indeed domestically, where uh, in the United States, in Australia, in Brazil, in Mexico, there are domestic reviews underway uh, as well. It's really a, it's an amazing moment in the world of global privacy as, as so many different uh, key instruments are, are, are being rethought. Um, we did have one uh, conference that focused on the changing role of the individual, and this is one of the key themes that we identified in the course of preparing our review as something that's really fundamentally changed uh, since 1980. The opening session of that, uh, that was conference uh, brought together uh, uh, Victor Mayer Schumberger, who's uh, here, here in Oxford, as well as uh, Jeffrey Rosen to talk about the right to forget. Um, Victor had to cancel at the last moment, unfortunately, but uh, I think many of the themes from his book, Delete, uh, featured in our discussion. We considered sort of the implications of the daily recordings of our, of our movements, of our transactions, uh, of our thoughts, and, and how that can, uh, we know what it's like now, what's it going to look like in 10 years, um, what about the changing, uh, changing way in which information is now uh, is kept forever, the movement from a, where it's easy to, easy to forget to now the default is it's, it's quite hard to forget. Um, so those, uh, we talked about some of the technologies that made those, that inversion possible from creating, collecting, storing, processing, and exchanging personal data. And, and in the discussion then we sort of came to the conclusion, well, that um, these issues are really tough. Uh, so I think, in fact, in the co context of our review, we haven't um, really talked too much about the right to forget and the free speech implications that it brings into context. Um, our focus has really been more on the practical challenges of ensuring that the principles that we already have are better implemented by data controllers. So we're looking at uh, new provisions related to privacy management programs for controllers, looking at data breach notification, the role of privacy authorities, and of course, transporter data flows. And indeed, after all, the OECD guidelines uh, already offer the basic rights of access and correction that give practical effect to much of what uh, one sees in, in what might be a right to forgot be forgotten. Uh, the individual participation principle, as we call it there, includes the right of the data subject to challenge the data related to him, and if the challenge is successful, to have the data erased, rectified, completed, or amended. Okay, let me talk a little bit more about uh, data creation and sharing by individuals about individuals. Um, I think this is, again, this is one of the key themes, and I think it has some implications in terms of uh, free expression and, and, and in the panoply of issues around the right to forget. Um, the, the drafters of the guidelines could have not contemplated the dramatic increases in the capabilities of, of individuals to produce, share, and publish personal uh, data. Large, number of, large numbers of individuals actively volunteer personal information about themselves and others, posting pictures, videos, blogging, uh, etc., to their friends or the public through social networking sites. And with mobile, uh, mobile, mobile devices, smartphones, etc., now, which I now understand out number toothbrushes, is that right? You are so maybe data, like it's data hygiene, a new concept in my mind. Um, uh, we really are in a new world. So one of the questions we've been trying to grapple with then, and this goes back to that conference we had uh, in 2010, is 
Um, while responsibility for privacy compliance is usually allocated to the organizations that control the data, are there circumstances in which it makes sense to consider a role for individuals in helping protect the privacy of the data that they create and disseminate? And uh, this is one of, we have a set of terms of reference for the review of our guidelines, and this is one of the issues that we've been trying to grapple with, uh, recognizing the range of actors now capable of putting privacy at risk should the scope of the privacy regimes be accordingly expanded, or should different types of actors have different types of roles and responsibilities. So we haven't really managed to, to uh, come up with a real answer to that question, which is sort of why I'm here to be uh, in this bastion of creative, clear thinking here at Oxford uh, to help us uh, address these uh, key conceptual uh, challenges as we look forward to uh, a stronger and better privacy for the next 30 years.